This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson. Today we're looking at a bit of research related to eye movement and miscue analysis. Now, eye movement research tells us much about reading and the reading process and how the brain creates meaning with print. Eye movement research looks at eye movement as people are engaged in authentic reading activities, meaning reading passages versus identifying individual words. And by the way, I would encourage all teachers and tutors of reading to watch the eyeballs of our readers as they read. This provides good data if you know what to look for. So let's take a look at our eyes as we read. <clears throat> our eye movement research tells us that our eyeballs do not move in a nice, straight, orderly line from left to right. We don't necessarily read the words in order or our eyes fixate them. Our brain just tricks us into thinking itself. So let's look at a few important terms. First, saccades are the skips that the eyeballs make as they leap about from word to word and over words. Our eyes skip about like a hummingbird. And about 40% of the time, we skip right over words as we're reading. Fixations are where our eyeballs stop. Boop. And here's the thing about fixations. We only clearly see that which our eyeballs fixate on. Our eyeballs take little snapshots and regressions are the backward movements our eyeballs make while reading. We go back to recheck a word or a phrase and we tend to do this more often with complex expository texts. And think about your eyeballs now as you are reading, how they go back, especially when you're reading complicated stuff. Now we have three perceptual regions, the foveal, parafoveal, and peripheral. The foveal comprises only 1-2% to 2 of your total visual field. It's the only visual region in which we can see clearly. It's about the size of a grape at arm's length. And we can see, as we read, only 6-8 to eight letters clearly if we're using normal size text. The parafoveal extends about 15 letters outside the foveal or out to about 24 letters from the fixation point. <coughs> Here, we can perceive things, but not clearly. This is like the line at the optometrist that you had to stop reading because you couldn't make out any of the letters. And the peripheral region is everything else that's fuzzy. Now here's the thing about fixations. As I said before, we can only clearly see that which we fixate on. So what we think of as reality is, in a sense, a series of snapshots our brain is making that's played back like an old movie reel. Snapshots back to back that occur so quickly that our eyes think it's one, our brain thinks it's one constant thing. As we look at anything, our eyes are constantly moving about. They don't stay still. They take little snapshots and your brain fills in the blanks. Now, think about this. Even when you think you're staring straight ahead, 
your eyeballs are dancing around. Think about this next time you're driving down the road or on the freeway. You think you're looking straight ahead, but concentrate on your eyeballs. Don't do it too long. You'll be very distracted. But notice as you're looking straight ahead down the road, your eyeballs are actually dancing about. That's the fixations. They're creating little snapshots because we can only see clearly that upon which our eyeballs fixate, which is 1% to 2% of our total vision. So when we read, our eyes fixate on only 60% of the words on the page. That means we skip right over about 40% of the words. Now, about 80% of the content words are fixated and only 40% of the function words. That function words are like in and of and the. The content words are the important words that are needed to create meaning, the big words, you know. So between 5 to 20% of the content words receive more than one fixation, depending on the reader's familiarity with the words or concepts or text structures. If we're reading about new stuff, that means we tend to go back, we have these regressions. Why am I saying that? Clearly what's in our head is directing our eyeballs as we read. Now here's the question I give unto you. With the very small in-focus viewing area, how are our brains able to read more than 10 words per minute? The answer? The reader uses minimal letter and word clues. Our brain is filling in the blanks. Our brain uses syntax and semantics to make micro-predictions as we read. The brain is a meaning-making machine. It's looking for patterns. It's looking to create order out of chaos. And our brain is creating meaning as we read, not sounding out words. So in order for our big human brains to operate efficiently, it takes in only the salient elements and fills in the blanks. Now, during the act of reading, readers gain information from the parafolio as to what the next word might be. This is done by using context or semantics and syntax, which is grammar and word order. <coughs> Eye movement researchers show <coughs> that readers are able to actually identify words microseconds before the eyes hit it. <coughs> Keith Rayner's 1996 study showed that the predictability of a word affects the fixation time and the skips. Meaning highly predictable words within a sentence are more likely to be skipped right over. For example, the monkey ate a banana and then the word banana, that's a highly predictable word <clears throat> and our eyes wouldn't fixate on it. Now, a constrained or unpredictable word is more likely to be fixated on and it's less likely to be skipped. For example, if I had the sentence, the monkey stampede a banana. Stampede is unpredictable. As a matter of fact, it makes no sense. 
and our eyes would tend to fixate on that, and we'd probably regress back and forth and say, what? Stampede? That doesn't make any sense. So let's look at Eric Paulson's 2002 study. He did some research looking at miscues and eye movements. He was particularly interested in the words readers omitted or skipped during reading. Now, a miscue is when what the reader says does not match what's on the page during oral reading. And there are four kinds of miscues. A meaning disrupted, disrupting miscue means it disrupts the meaning of the sentence and it doesn't make sense. The monkey stampede a banana. Stampede would be a meaning, uh, meaning disrupting miscue. A meaning-maintaining miscue fits within the sentence. It doesn't disrupt the meaning. If I said the, the, the monkey consumed a banana instead of ate, that's a bad example, but it doesn't change the meaning of the sentence at all. The third type of miscue is a gra grammatically correct but meaning-disrupting miscue. The word that the, the reader says does not make sense in the sentence, but it is grammatically correct. This is an indication that the syntactic cueing system is at work, and that is good. A self-correction during oral reading is when the reader makes a miscue, pauses a little bit later on to check if it makes sense, and then goes back and corrects it. This is called metacognition, and this is a mature reading behavior. This shows us that the semantic cueing system is at work. So, Paulson found some interesting stuff. He found that readers are likely to visually examine and fixate right on words that were miscued. They often omitted words, substituted words, or changed words that they looked right at or fixated on for ample duration. They made meaning-maintaining miscues, meaning the sentence still made sense. He also found out that most words that are not fixated on, that they skip right over, are read without miscues. And remember, we don't actually accurately perceive visual stimuli unless we fixate right on it. So the conclusions made are that eye movement reflects a meaning-making process, not a word identification process, and not a sounding out word process. Eye movement research shows the brain is using the text to confirm the micro-predictions during reading. Does this make sense? And the second idea is readers don't look at every letter or every word while they're reading. They use syntactic and semantic information, as well as information in the head, to recognize words and create meaning. And the third conclusion is that efficient readers do what's necessary and most efficient to make sense of the text they're reading, to create meaning. And the most efficient thing is to engage all three cueing systems, semantic, syntactic, and phonological. The least efficient would be 
to engage just the phonological. Sound it out. Sound out every word. That is the least efficient. So, two big ideas here to take from this. Effective reading instruction should reinforce the way the brain creates meaning with print and not some artificial way. Yes, there should be some letter sound instruction, but the brain, it naturally wants to look for patterns. So this letter sound instruction should should use large unit phonics where you look for letter patterns or word families. Phonograms, that's large unit instruction. You should include clay, uh, close and maze activities that develop the semantic cueing system, and you should include writing and sentence mix-up activities to develop the syntactic cueing system. That reflects how the brain creates meaning with print. And big idea number two, any reading program or curricular uh, or curriculum is a tool. And any tool's effectiveness is dependent on how it's used. So if you bought an expensive new program that really doesn't reflect how the brain creates meaning with print, adopt and adapt. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson.